Hello, my name is Nigel Bowden. I'd like to welcome you to episode 14 of the Wi-Fi for Beginners podcast. This is a series of podcasts discussing the fundamentals of wireless LAN networking, and in each episode we'll take a look at a different aspect of Wi-Fi to build your understanding and knowledge of wireless LAN networks. Each episode is accompanied by a set of slides describing the topics covered in that episode, uh, although you don't need to review the slides whilst listening to the podcast. Uh, they might be useful for reviewing the material we discuss and might provide some useful visual aids to help you more fully understand some of the content concepts and equipment described in the podcast. All recordings and supporting material can be found at wififorbeginners.com. Okay then, so in this episode we're going to continue our discussion around wireless LAN clients. Uh, if you didn't hear the last episode, which is episode number 13, you might want to go back and review that one before continuing with this episode. As I say, the podcast series is actually broken down into a number of modules uh, covering major topics and we're in module number 5. Uh, module number 5 started at episode 13 and this being episode number 14 we're continuing with our discussion around the topics in module 5 which is all around wireless LAN clients. Okay, so just a very quick review of what we covered in the last episode, just to refresh your memory before we dive into some new material. Uh, we talked about the fact that the reason that we have wireless LANs at all is to provide connectivity for wireless LAN clients. They're the whole reason that we have a wireless LAN at all. They allow users to connect to various services that they need to access. Uh, we also talked about the similarities between a wireless access point and a client. They both have uh, one or two radios in them and they need one or more antennas as well. Obviously uh, a wireless access point is a dedicated device for processing the requirements of uh, lots and lots of wireless clients so uh, it's got far more functionality and a lot more uh, hardware uh, capability but at a basic RF level they've both got uh, radios and antennas so they can form their RF connections between them. We also asked the question what is a wireless client and uh, in the strictest sense it's a uh, wireless device that supports the 802.11 standard very much like a wireless access point but uh, a wireless client actually has the capability to associate with a wireless access point it can actually form an RF connection and join a wireless LAN network and we discussed examples of this it includes things like laptops tablets smartphones things like that and we also talked about the fact that ideally we like clients to associate with an access point and as they move around the facility we like them to roam from access point to access point we talked very briefly as well about the client connectivity process, how it actually joins a wireless LAN network. A wireless LAN client will be powered on or it will come within range of a wireless network. It will then perform probing to discover the wireless networks that are available and then hopefully it will be able to go ahead and join the network through a process called association. And then hopefully as the device moves around the network, it'll reassociate with new wireless access points as it comes in range of those access points to ensure that it can maintain its highest speed and best quality connection. We put quite a bit of emphasis on this notion of roaming to uh, make sure that our client maintains its best quality connection. And we discuss why we're interested in maintaining this good quality connection uh, as far as we possibly can. Uh, it's not just a question of maintaining a high speed connection for the access point. That obviously, that's very desirable. Uh, but what we find is there's an effect whereby as a wireless client moves further and further away from its access point, the received signal level that it uh, can actually receive from the access point reduces. And as the received signal level reduces, then the connection speed which can be maintained as well reduces, uh, which reduces the throughput of the client. 
but because uh, the wireless access point cell is a shared medium or wireless clients are contending for access to the RF medium uh, if we get any clients which run at slower speeds they're going to take longer to transfer their data and so this has an impact on all other clients within the cell as a client becomes slower and slower it takes longer and longer to transmit its data so this means other clients have to wait longer before they have the opportunity to transmit their data uh, and so this reduces the overall throughput of a cell which is uh, obviously not a desirable um, effect when we're trying to provide high-speed, high-performing wireless LAN networks. And then finally we took a very quick look on factors which will affect the capabilities of a wireless LAN client and certainly the age of a client will have an impact. It will uh, be determined by the various 802.11 amendments that the device can support and factors such as the physical size and the power source of the device. So it's time for us to dive into some new material about wireless clients and uh, we're starting off at slide number 16 if you're following along with the slide deck it's titled standards review and this is actually a misnomer uh, we're not actually talking about standards uh, we're actually talking about 802.11 amendments if you remember uh, 802.11 is the IEEE standard the main standard that we're talking about but uh, there are a series of amendments as the standard evolves over time amendments are added and it's actually these amendments that people are generally referring to when they talk about standard support for a client uh, device. So just talking about the 802.11 standard, uh, as I say, it is a, a collection of amendments. And uh, in fact, these amendments are actually added incrementally over time and then periodically they're actually consolidated into one overall master standard and there may even be some uh, amendments which are deprecated and removed from the standard and uh, just to give you a few examples of this in 1997 uh, the amendments were all consolidated into one master release of the 802.11 standard which is 802.11-1997 the same thing happened in 2007 we had 802.11-2007 and the most recent standard consolidation was in 2012 which was 802.11-2012 surprisingly enough and I believe there is imminently going to be a new release of the the master standard uh, but uh, it hasn't been released as yet maybe we'll see that in 2016 one thing to bear in mind when people are talking about the capabilities of a client uh, with reference to the 802.11 amendments, they're generally talking about a specific PHY amendment and PHY, spelt P-H-Y, uh, is talking about the physical layer amendments and these are typically used to describe things like the uh, connection speed and the uh, band that the PHY amendment actually uh, refers to. So if we look at one of the earliest and most popular fire amendments, this is 802.11b. Uh, this came out in 1999 and uh, this allowed connection speeds of up to 11 megabits per second uh, and this was limited to just the 2.4 gigahertz band uh, this one became very very popular for a large number of devices uh, mainly due to the uh, lower cost of the components for um, the 2.4 gigahertz band and also the fact that the uh, coverage provided by 2.4 gigahertz was uh, was a lot higher than for the 5 gigahertz band and in the early days of Wi-Fi networks coverage was very much king and it was all about gaining the maximum amount of coverage uh, with an access point for a wireless LAN network. Around about the same time as the 802.11b uh, amendment came out we had the 802.11a amendment this was brought out in 1999 and provided connection speeds up to 54 megabits per second so this was actually higher than the 
USB amendment. Uh, but this one was limited to the 5 gigahertz band only. Uh, and because of the higher cost of the components for 5 gigahertz and the shorter coverage ranges, this one never really caught on in the uh, early days of, of wireless LAN networks. Uh, following on from that, in 2003, we had the 802.11G amendment. This was pretty much an upgrade to 802.11b because it operated on the 2.4 gigahertz band again uh, and it provided connection speeds now of up to 54 megabits per second so it sort of brought it into line with the 802.11a standard on uh, on 5 gigahertz but but now it could be used on 2.4 gigahertz and again this was very very popular because of the uh, lower cost of components and uh, and the extra coverage which people got for wireless lands on the 2.4 gigahertz network uh, the next major amendment was the uh, 802.11n uh, amendment which came out in 2009 and this was a real big upgrade to the capabilities of wireless LAN networks. It provided connection speeds up to 450 megabits per second so it was quite a jump from the 54 megabits we'd already got on the 5 and uh, 2.4 gigahertz bands with uh, 11A and 11G so it gave a, a massive boost in uh, capability of connection speed uh, which really started to challenge uh, the notion of being uh, connected to switched networks because we could get much higher throughput connection speeds for wireless clients now and theoretically the standard actually defined connection speeds up to 600 megabits per second but manufacturers never actually moved into this territory uh, of providing 600 megabits per second the next standard we're going to talk about came along before anybody ever really moved into that area 802.11n was actually unique compared to the previous 802.11 amendments in that it covered uh, dual bands. It was actually defined to operate on both the 2.4 and the 5 gigahertz band, which is the first time that a fire amendment had actually moved into supporting uh, both bands. Then in uh, 2013 we had the 802.11ac amendment uh, and this one moved back to being defined purely for one band and 802.11ac is only defined for operation on the 5 gigahertz band which is a bit of a departure from the, the standard that was set in uh, 802.11m with both bands being supported. So uh, if you're buying any devices which support 802.11ac remember they are going to operate on the 5 gigahertz band which is, uh, is a good thing these days. We really want to leverage the 5 gigahertz band as we've already previously discussed and uh, 11ac also stepped up connection speeds uh, massively again um, the first wave of 11ac equipment uh, was built as supporting speeds up to 1.3 gigabits per second uh, again which is quite a step up from 450 megabits uh, that was commonly used uh, with the 11n standard the standard itself actually supports multi-gigabit speeds and as newer equipment is uh, made available uh, there's no doubt that uh, connection speeds will push well past the 1.3 gigabits uh, limit of the initial Wave 1 equipment which was produced. Uh, one important point to note about 802.11ac clients, so I said earlier that they operate on the 5 gigahertz band and this is true, they will only operate at 802.11ac speeds on the 5 gigahertz band. However, you'll find that many clients also have a 2.4 gigahertz radio as well, which they can use, uh, but they will only generally run this uh, using the 802.11n standard. They certainly won't support 802.11ac speeds on 2.4 gigahertz. 
One thing that's worth noting about all of the uh, connection speeds that we've been talking about up to now, we've talked about 54 megabits per second, 450 megabits per second, 1.3 gigabits per second. These are purely the physical connection speed of the RF link between uh, a client and the access point. Uh, we need to remember that the actual throughput of the link between the two devices is actually going to be a lot lower than that. If you remember, we've got the uh, half duplex nature of uh, wireless LANs, uh, which is obviously going to cut the speed pretty much in half in, in many instances. And of course, we've got the contended nature of uh, a wireless LAN network. Uh, this means that we've got multiple clients who are all contending to use uh, the same wireless access point. They have to actually share uh, the available airtime between them. Uh, and this means that if we've got multiple clients, which we could all uh, theoretically run at 1.3 gigabits per second, if they have to take it in turns to use the RF medium, then their actual throughput will be a fraction of the possible 1.3 gigabits per second. So uh, a published connection speed is not the actual throughput speed that you will achieve from a wireless client and it's well worth remembering this uh, when you're looking at things like capacity and performance of a wireless LAN network. So now we're just going to take a little bit of a walkthrough of the evolution of wireless LAN clients. I think it's quite interesting to have a historical context on how we arrived at where we are now with the proliferation and types of wireless clients that we've got and also some of the legacy clients that we still need to actually support. Um, so back in the early days of Wi-Fi networks, uh, wireless clients were very much a subset of all devices which connected to a network. The vast majority of client devices were wired. So devices such as PCs, laptops, printers, they were all permanently wired into a, a switched port. And wireless devices were pretty specialist niche type devices. Uh, very popular in places like uh, warehouses where you had handheld scanners which gave you the convenience of being so mobile, uh, very easy to use. Obviously a wired connection doesn't really work in that environment when you've got people moving around a warehouse. Um, we had things like voice over IP phones, they were particularly popular in hospitals uh, and we had a number of laptops as well, they were used uh, quite a bit in the enterprise space but initially this was more for sort of senior people within an organisation, it gradually filtered down over time through the organisation they became more uh, available to lower levels of staff. Um, also very popular uh, to have uh, hospital applications, you would have things like a computer on wheels where they'd have either a PC or a laptop that was transported around on a, on a wheeled trolley to provide bedside access uh, as an alternative to trying to have Ethernet connections uh, near patient beds. But these were all fairly um, specialised niche applications really that weren't widely uh, available. Uh, the other thing about these devices as well, they were all very much subject to IT department uh, policies uh, and security mechanisms so they were very tightly controlled uh, and access to them and the resources that they could actually access was very very tightly controlled. But then we had the growth in mobile devices which started to appear in the marketplace particularly things like the iPad and the iPhone which became more and more available and there was a, a greater and greater take up of these devices and initially these devices were very popular in the home people used them on their home Wi-Fi networks uh, and they would use them on guest Wi-Fi networks when they were visiting other organizations but as the uh, convenience and the availability of these devices grew very very quickly there was suddenly pressure on IT staff within organizations to start actually 
providing uh, the ability to use these devices, these consumer level devices on uh, corporate IT networks and this was particularly driven by senior level staff who had iPads and iPhones and they wanted to be able to use them in the same way that they did at home, they wanted to be able to use them on the corporate network. Unfortunately, when these first consumer-grade devices appeared, they didn't have sufficient security to be deployed onto many corporate networks. And this provided quite a, a headache for IT departments who were really struggling to try and accommodate these requests by senior level people within organizations to actually get these devices onto a corporate or wireless LAN for them. And also the concept of accommodating a user's own device on a corporate network in any shape or form was very much an alien concept. As I said previously, all devices have been subject to very rigorous configuration and security controls and also the devices have actually been supplied by the organization themselves to be used on the network and only devices supplied by an organization were allowed to be attached to the the wired or the wireless LAN and suddenly there was this whole paradigm shift that kicked in when suddenly IT departments were under pressure to find some way of securely connecting uh, users own devices so that they could be used on the wireless LAN in, in the work environment. And this is where the whole concept of BYOD, uh, bring your own device, uh, kicked in. I'm pretty sure you would have heard of this before, but BYOD is a policy or a concept of allowing end users to bring in their devices to the workplace uh, and use them for maybe guest access or even for uh, part of their job function. They can actually use applications or access websites internally within an organization to actually do their day-to-day -day job, which was uh, very much, as I say, a, a big uh, mindset shift from the previous model of organizations providing all devices which have got to be connected to uh, a network. So IT departments were under significant pressure to uh, be able to support these consumer grade devices uh, and this was things like the iPad, uh, the iPhone and obviously there were other things like the, the Blackberry and then all of the Samsung and Nokia devices came along. There was a whole host of smartphones, tablets that were suddenly popping out of the woodwork uh, and people were asking for them to be supported on the internal corporate network and obviously because all of these devices were wireless uh, there was actually no way of providing any wired connections so there was significant pressure to get them onto the corporate wireless LANs. So with this uh, initial pressure coming from senior executive staff to provide support for these types of devices on a wireless network this uh, gradually filtered down through the ranks uh, and got right down to the uh, lowest levels of workers and, and pretty much everybody was exerting pressure to be able to use these devices uh, on the corporate network. Uh, there were some supposed advantages to this particular model. There was the efficiency gains uh, that could be afforded by users being able to use devices that were very familiar with and very comfortable to use on the corporate network um, so that they would be able to perform their jobs more efficiently. There were also uh, some supposed cost savings associated with it. Obviously an organisation wouldn't have any capital outlay for these devices because they're actually owned by end users. So uh, that would mean lower capital expenditure for an organisation 
on hardware to be used on the corporate network. Unfortunately, there were some pretty big issues to contend with. Uh, it wasn't quite as straightforward as everybody would have liked. Uh, there were significant issues around security and the management of the uh, devices, and also the applications for the various business processes uh, that people wanted to use the devices for just might not exist. And so there was a requirement to provide some sort of either web-based uh, internal portal or maybe even the development of uh, mobile apps to be able to enable people to be able to use their own devices for business functions. One of the biggest issues with the whole BYOD phenomenon is that of security. Obviously, as all devices used on a network previously have been provided by an organization, uh, then they were subject to pretty rigorous security procedures and they had very tight controls and configurations on there uh, but unfortunately with uh, the BYOD phenomenon uh, users had their own device which they configured in their own way and so security was very very hard to enforce. Some of the security issues included who actually has access to the device you know if the device is being used for corporate use when it goes home who has access to that device what information might they be able to see what about the actual security of the information on that device if that device is actually subject to things like viruses, um, what happens to the information which may relate to the corporate environment which is, is maybe lost. Also what about support of the device, obviously the device needs to be secured in some way but who's actually going to provide the support for that device if it's used for business purposes and, and what mechanisms are going to be put in place, is that going to be done by the end user, is that actually going to be done by the organisation and how is that actually going to be uh, put into place. Uh, what about lost devices as well? If an end user takes the device home, leaves it on the bus or in a taxi or on a train, what about that device? How do we make sure that uh, the device can be maybe remotely wiped or the information is secured on it in such a way that it can't fall into the wrong hands? Uh, another thing as well is who actually owns the data on that device? I mean, there's obviously going to be a mix of personal data on there. There's going to be corporate data on there. There's obviously the question about access to both types of data. Is an organization going to have access to the personal data on the device and uh, you know, vice versa in the home environment? Is everybody going to have access to the corporate data which is uh, available from that device? And so over time, this explosion of BYOD devices uh, just really took hold and Wi-Fi access grew slowly from being very much a sort of complementary second-class access method within an organization to start to become the primary uh, and if not only access method uh, in many cases with far less reliance on wired switch ports and the emphasis very much on uh, wireless devices using corporate wireless network uh, to access all types of information provide all sorts of access to processes and applications within an organization. So in response to the huge demands of BYOD, uh, many organizations really had to scramble around to try and pull together some sort of BYOD policies to address things such as uh, which types of devices could be used, security mechanisms which must be enforced. They also implemented management solutions to put some structure around the way employee devices were used on the network. And this could include uh, things such as putting software applications onto devices which would provide secure storage for core information being stored on wireless devices and also provide things like remote wipe capabilities in the event that devices were lost. 
Also, because of the significant rise in demands on wireless networks, many organisations also had to upgrade their existing wireless LAN capacity uh, to be able to meet the significant increase in demands that BYOD placed on the wireless LAN infrastructures of many organisations. In addition to this as well, as people became more and more used to using wireless devices on their corporate network, we found that many more wireless-enabled devices started to appear and needed to be connected to corporate networks. This included things such as uh, Apple TV devices, for screen sharing, Chromecast devices. We had games consoles appearing in some environments. Uh, we had a lot of specialist medical uh, environments, which were very popular in the uh, healthcare environment, things like patient telemetry and monitoring systems. So there was this uh, continuing explosion of BYOD devices for employees and additional devices which were required to be connected to uh, corporate networks. And the expectations of a Wi-Fi networks grew wildly in a very short space of time. In the space of two or three years, we moved from some very basic requirements of a wireless LAN network of just providing things like web browsing and maybe some data transfer for a small number of uh, users within an organization to providing full data, voice and video connectivity for the majority of uh, employees or members of an organisation. This whole evolution of wireless LAN clients and the increasing requirements uh, for capacity and access to wireless LAN networks is still going on at the moment. Uh, we've got another anticipated avalanche of new devices that are going to require uh, Wi-Fi connectivity. You may have heard about the Internet of Things, uh, often abbreviated to IoT, uh, and this is going to be the connection of pretty much uh, everything that we use in the workplace and at home into the internet and many of these things are going to actually require uh, a wireless connection. Uh, it's not necessarily going to be all devices connected over Wi-Fi connections, there are going to be other wireless technologies such as Bluetooth and uh, Zigbee which are both on the 2.4 gigahertz band and there are also going to be other technologies such as uh, cellular network and also some uh, old TV bands are being freed up to provide device-to-device -device type communications over wider areas. Also I think that some IoT devices are going to be constrained by their power requirements. Many smaller devices are acting as things like sensors may need to operate for many years uh, on a single battery charge and uh, Wi-Fi technology is uh, fairly power hungry in comparison to some of the other wireless technologies available so that may limit its application but there's no doubt about it uh, there is going to be significant ongoing increase in uh, requirements for wireless LAN connectivity by this whole new avalanche of wireless LAN clients. In terms of the impact that's going to have on wireless LAN capacity, as I said previously, uh, the, some devices may be connected using uh, 82.11 uh, connectivity methods, uh, but many others will use these alternative technologies. Either way, there are going to be significant ongoing demands on the spectrum that we already have. Uh, many of these devices may be using Bluetooth or Zigbee. They're going to add even more to the already overburdened 2.4 gigahertz band. Uh, and as I say, whether or not those use those technologies or they use Wi-Fi connectivity, there's going to be more and more devices trying to use uh, the same existing spectrum. So Wi-Fi is going to be impacted. There's going to be more and more challenges as we move ahead into the future with this whole explosion of devices which require some form of connectivity. 
So that pretty much wraps up our exploration of the evolution of climate. So hopefully you get some idea of how we've arrived where we are now and some of the challenges that we're uh, facing currently and some of the near-term challenges that we're, we're no doubt going to face with um, the IoT, the whole Internet of Things explosion. Um, so just want to move on to a slightly different topic now. Just want to start looking at client behavior. Uh, one of the questions in your mind may be, what influences the behavior of a client? And we've got a series of questions that we'll have a look at. And then in the remainder of the topics we'll be exploring in this particular module, we'll try to answer some of these. So at the end of it, hopefully you'll have an understanding of why clients tend to behave the way they do. So some of the questions that I've uh, listed. So I'm on to slide number 23 now that you might like to take a look at. Which band will a client use? We've talked previously about the fact that some clients will support both 2.4 and 5 gigahertz. Which band will a client use? They've obviously got a choice of two to use there. Uh, also, which channel is a, a client going to use? Which AP is a client going to associate with? If it's got a number of APs to choose from, which one will it go for? Uh, and also, when and how will a client roam between access points? We've talked previously about the importance of clients roaming effectively so that they can maintain a high quality connection. And as I say, during the rest of this module, we'll run through some other information which will help us to answer those particular questions. Also, another important part of understanding client behavior is understanding a little bit more about the 802.11 standard itself. The 802.11 standard, as we've previously discussed, provides a standard definition at layers 1 and 2 of the OSI model. At layer 1, we've got the phi layer, which is the physical layer, and it describes things like uh, the RF bands which are used, the uh, modulation techniques, encoding techniques, things that are down at the physical RF layer. Uh, we've also got layer 2, which describes things which are up at the data link layer. And if you're familiar with Ethernet technology, no doubt you'll have heard about the data link layer previously and understand uh, the types of information that's transported at the data link layer. So I just want to drill down a little bit more into layer two because this is the part that becomes interesting in trying to understand a little bit more about the behavior of wireless LAN clients. So if you think back to the Ethernet standard, the 802.3 standard, uh, thinking at layer two, we actually define one type of frame. It's a data frame and it's purpose is purely to transport a uh, data payload. Uh, it actually transports as its payload uh, layer 3 packets which are generally IP packets which are just sent back and forth between Ethernet stations on a point-to-point -point basis. So for 802.3 we've just got a single frame type which is just transporting data. In the 802.11 standard because of the complexities of the uh, connection methods that we've got there then we have to actually have more than one type of frame at layer two. In the 802.11 standard, we've actually got three types of frame. We've got the standard data frame, again, that we had in 802.3, and again, the payload of that is uh, typically layer three packets, which is our IP traffic. But then we also have a management frame and a control frame, and uh, each of these frame types provides a different function within the 802.11 standard to facilitate things like connectivity as well as transporting data and uh, providing access to the RF medium. So you may be wondering 
why do we actually need these three frame types? And I'm just going to very briefly uh, discuss that. We need to bear in mind that wireless LAN networks operate on an unbounded medium. That means it's open to the air. Anybody within the coverage area of a wireless access point can access that network if they have sufficient credentials and the right access method. And uh, once they're on the network, they can contend to use the airtime which is available within that cell. Uh, but we're talking about people over quite a wide physical area in different parts of a building maybe or different parts of a room who can all access that. They're not constrained in the same way as uh, something like an Ethernet port where only one user can use that one port at any particular time. And because wireless LAN networks don't have that simple plug-in connectivity that you get with Ethernet networks where it's simply a case of getting an Ethernet cable and putting it into a uh, data socket to get connectivity, we have to have additional mechanisms that allow our wireless LAN clients to be able to join a wireless LAN network. If we think of the Ethernet equivalent of mobility uh, when moving between locations, the, the mobility which wireless LANs provide for us, then we can perhaps start to understand some of the uh, challenges that we face with a wireless network. So if we think about an Ethernet network, if we enter a room, we can simply plug our Ethernet cable into a data port on the wall and uh, we've instantly got access to the Ethernet network. The medium is permanently free as the switch port is available. It's got no cable plugged into it so we simply plug our Ethernet cable into a port and we have connectivity. As soon as we plug into that port we've got full duplex completely uncontended connection available to send data. There's no contention with any other stations on that same port. We've got exclusive use of that port. And then as we actually move from that room to another room, let's say if we have to move from one meeting room to another meeting room, it's simply a case of unplugging the uh, Ethernet cable from the data socket on the wall, move to another room and plug it into uh, the data port that's available in that particular room. So we've actually got very simple methods of access, we've got exclusive use of the medium and if we start to think about how we actually facilitate that same sort of functionality and mechanism over a wireless network where we've got a contended environment, then we can start to think about the reasons why we might need to have uh, additional frame types uh, which provide the functionality that we need to try to emulate the simple plugging in and unplugging of Ethernet ports as we move from point to point and to be able to provide access to our medium to be able to send data. So that pretty much wraps up our discussion of wireless clients for this particular episode. We'll actually be starting the next episode diving into the various 822.11 frame types so we can explain uh, some of the concepts that I was alluding to, how we can actually provide this mobile connectivity uh, for our wireless clients. So just before I do a very brief summary of the topics we've covered in this particular episode, I just want to remind you, uh, if you can, get along to my website, which is wififorbeginners.com. I'd be very keen for you to sign up to our newsletter. If you have a look on the right-hand side of the uh, website, on each page you can see a sign-up form there to uh, get the latest information about the podcast via our newsletter and about some of the exciting things we've got coming up in the future. Also, you can download all of the supporting materials, things such as the slides and all of the audio presentations that we've uh, provided in the series so far. You can also find some quizzes there which can be very useful for testing your knowledge of the topics we've covered and also access to a number of other very useful recommended resources uh, that are going to help you with your wireless LAN studies. 
So just a very brief summary now of the topics we've covered in this particular episode. We started off by taking a very brief look at some of the Wi-Fi amendments that you may hear about, uh, which are used to describe the capabilities of wireless LAN clients. We talked about 802.11b, uh, which gives us connection speeds of up to 11 megabits per second, uh, but it only applies to the 2.4 gigahertz band. We had 802.11a, which provides connection speeds up to 54 megabits per second, uh, but only operates on 5 gigahertz. 802.11g, which again gives us 54 megabits per second, uh, but this time only operates on the 2.4 gigahertz band. Then we had the 802.11n, which gives us a significant increase in speed, takes us up to uh, 450 megabits per second and is actually defined for use on both the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz band and then finally we had the 802.11ac standard uh, which gives us connection speeds currently up to about 1.3 gigabits per second but that's going to increase in the future and uh, this is only defined for use on the 5 gigahertz band we also then went on to talk about the evolution of clients, how uh, in the early days of Wi-Fi it was very much niche specialist devices that were used on wireless LAN networks uh, and these devices tended to be provided by an organisation uh, subject to very strict security controls. But then as we experienced the growth in consumer grade wireless LAN devices, more and more organisations came under pressure to provide wireless access, particularly for senior management levels of an organisation. This led to the concept of BYOD, uh, which is bring your own device, which enabled employees to bring in their own consumer grade wireless LAN devices uh, to use on the corporate network, uh, both for guest type access and to provide uh, part of their day to day job role uh, using applications and uh, websites that enabled them to perform their job function. BYOD is supposed to have a number of advantages including an improvement in efficiency because of users being familiar with their devices and also cost savings because of the lack of capital outlay for the hardware for these devices uh, that needs to be incurred by an organisation. However, we do face quite big issues with security and management of the devices uh, and also there may be instances whereby uh, applications for particular business processes don't actually exist. There are some major security concerns around securing employee devices, things such as who has access to the device itself, what about the security of the information on the device, particularly corporate information, what about if users lose device, and there's a whole host of security considerations that need to be overcome. So as the proliferation of more and more wireless LAN clients grew and the acceptance of BYOD permeated through many organisations, uh, Wi-Fi slowly grew from being a complementary access method to a network to become the primary, if not the only, access method in many organisations with far less reliance on wired switch ports. This meant that many organisations had to put together some sort of BYOD policies and implement management solutions such as mobile device management solutions uh, and also to upgrade their wireless networks to cope with the increasing demands placed on wireless LAN networks. In addition to this more and more wireless devices were added to the network as people became more comfortable with using wireless LANs as an access method to the network and the expectations generally of Wi-Fi grew far beyond the original requirements of many wireless LAN networks which was to provide a basic data service typically providing a web browsing capability uh, into a fully fledged uh, data voice and video capable network. 
the growth in demand for wireless LAN services is only going to continue into the future. We've got the concept of the Internet of Things in which many hardware devices are going to be connected via wireless connections to the Internet and to each other. Uh, they will use a variety of connection mechanisms including uh, wireless LANs but also other technologies such as Bluetooth and Zigbee, uh, cellular networks are also going to be part of the whole IoT picture. We took a very brief look at the 802.11 standard again, uh, discussing the layer 1 functionality, the fire layer functionality that it defines, and also the layer 2 data link functionality that it defines. We also discussed the fact that in the 802.11 standard, uh, in contrast to the 802.3 Ethernet standard, where we have only one frame type at layer 2. At layer 2 in 802.11 we have three frame types which are the data frame, management frame and the control frame uh, which enable us to provide the variety of additional functions that we need with a wireless LAN compared to an Ethernet environment. So I hope the information within this podcast has been of value to you. In our next episode, we'll be continuing our discussion of wireless LAN clients. And we'll start by diving a little bit more deeply into the different frame types that we have within 802.11. So as I say, don't forget to get along to my website, which is wififorbeginners.com, to find out all of the supporting material for the podcast series. And uh, I look forward to joining you again very soon on the next episode of the Wi-Fi for Beginners podcast.